all of us at the po- some point in our life are going to come to the end of our journey. And that's kind of a, some of us don't want to think about that. We push it far away. Maybe you consider it morbid. But all of us at some point, earlier or later, will come to the end of our journey. It's interesting, uh, there's so many stories um, of people who've had what they call near-death experiences where someone dies and is brought back. Uh, maybe they're gone for a few moments or a few, several minutes or a couple hours and they somehow resuscitated and they have stories to tell. And There's so many common threads in, in these experiences that are just remarkable. Though there are some differences, there are some commonalities. And one common thing you hear from someone who, who, who is revived after dying is what they will, they will refer to as having their whole life kind of brought before them in a review. Like they can just see. And, and it may have been a very short amount of time as we measure time, but outside of our world of our limited dimensions where time is different and eternity is not measurable, uh, they felt like it was a very long time where they were able to review, like a life review. And I know that we don't have to think ahead to those times, but all of us will have that spot, either where we are coming near the end and we have time to think about what life's been about because it's a slow train coming, or whether it's suddenly in the presence of God and we look back at it all. And, um, but in, for all of us, this journey has, a, has an end date, this part of our journey. And the next journey begins. And I want to think about that at the end of our sermon today a little bit as we wrap up a a little bit of a life review. Honestly, a lot of what we're going to talk about today is a bit of an homage to Moses because we've been talking about him for so many weeks and his life, uh, and I think it's it's worthy of that. We're wrapping up a series that we started, really, we've been talking through the, the Bible. The Bible means the books, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Christian Scriptures. We've been going through the Hebrew Scriptures uh, for a little while now, and we, we've made it to a period called, we've called the wander years. And the wander years are the years where the Israelites were taken out of hundreds of years of slavery, and they're heading to the promised land that was promised to their ancestors, but they, they got stalled for 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. We saw the reason why they spent 40 years in the wilderness last week, but now they're out there. And we're wrapping up that part of the story today where we're moving on. But it's not just the wander years story we're moving on from. We talked about Moses at the beginning of the year. If you were with us in January 8th, we set this whole conversation up with with Moses because he's the one who's under his leadership. The first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures were written, the Pentateuch. He, he, He led a lot of that. And so we talked about him from the beginning before we went back to Genesis from there. And so we've been talking about him for a long time on and off. And now we're wrapping up this generation that he was alive in and wrapping up his story today. And before I go into the stories for today, I want to just remind us of something I've kind of alluded to several times along the way, and that is that Moses was an absolutely amazing, amazing leader. Moses was the kind of leader that um, any, he accomplished so many different things, any one of those things would be a life achievement. Let me point out a few to us today. First of all, he was a liberator. I know that it was God's power that did it, but, but God uses people. And Moses was the one God sent back. And Moses walks into the land of Egypt and confronts Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and says, you know, the Lord says, let his people go free from slavery. And has that confrontation and has that moment where, where he is used by God to lead the nation of Israel out of slavery. He's a liberator. That one achievement is a lifetime achievement. That's all a person ever accomplished in their life. That's pretty significant. You kind of go with that. 
But he didn't just do that. He then over, he was an overseer. And he saw a bunch of people who, who never had to govern themselves. They were, they were in a spot where they were just at the end of, uh, of, you know, doing what they were told in Egypt. And now they're free, but they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't have a mindset of independence. They didn't have a mindset of victory. They were very much a victim mindset people. They were very much a um, reactive mentality group. And Moses tries to lead them. And that was a very difficult job. And he gets it for 40 years. And that one thing alone is remarkable leadership. And if it's all he did, it's a lifetime accomplishment. But that's not all either. He also helped give a, put a system of government into place where they established a, a nation of laws for people who never had to have laws for themselves. They just did what they were told while in Egypt as slaves. And now they're free. He has to build a system of laws. And they write, he meets with God in the mountain and comes down and establishes moral laws, civil laws, uh, you know, health laws. I mean, including quarantine principles and dietary practices and, and, and disease control and civil matters and judicial disputes in the whole nine yards. He oversees the whole kit and caboodle and establishes a system of government. And that by itself is a lifetime achievement. But that's not all he accomplished. He also was a man who documented. I mean, whatever you think, whatever you are on your, you know, in your journey of faith or belief, all of us should be impressed with, with, with the fact that we have history from 3,500 years ago that is so well-preserved and documented. And, 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 it's under, and, of course, God's in that. But, but from the human side of it, Moses had made a decision early on in his leadership, we are going to document this thing. And so part of their system of taxing the people through their percentage giving that they did in their, in their system of, of produce was they, they took some of that taxation, basically taxation as we would call it today, and they would use it to fund a lot of, of things, but part of it was funding scribes. And the scribes' job was simply to write down the things they wanted recorded, which included Genesis, the backstory of where they came from. Let's document our backstory. Let's talk about our current story and our laws. Let's write those down. Let's our, our exploits and our adventures. And they wrote that down. And, and, and back then, it wasn't like there was a printing press where you just make copies and they last forever. Things that you wrote down on tended to de de uh, denigrate and deteriorate. So you had to keep making copies of your copies because the material wasn't durable. So the, 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 the money that was raised through the system of basically percentage taxing amongst the people through their, pro through their increase Part of it funded people who wrote things down and then made copies of the copies of the copies so that the, the story would be preserved. And that is remarkable. There is nothing else from 3,500 years ago in the world today that we have preserved history like we do ancient Israel. We have, you can find archaeology and, you know, tidbits and carvings and chiselings and other things, but the amount of absolute preserved, I mean, because things happened. Again, writings deteriorated, fires happened, accidents happened, civilizations came and went. But we have a preservation like none other of this ancient period of time, and that's Moses' leadership that says, let's write this down and let's prioritize people's jobs to keep it preserved. And when Moses was gone, the nation followed his precedent and kept doing that. And that's why we have these records today. On top of that, that's a lifetime achievement right there. On top of that, he was an educator. He said, you came out of slavery, you don't know anything, let's teach you reading, writing, we got to get scribes, let's teach uh, our history, let's have people memorize and things that will tell them about God and where they came from and who they are as people. 
And then we didn't even discuss the military exploits. We've skipped that completely. But there are all sorts of military battles. Some of us would really dig that part of the story. But we haven't even talked about that. It's why you ought to read these scriptures for yourself. Because they would have to fight battles. They'd have to take the weapons from the Egyptians that chased them and died and get their weapons and slowly build up the tools to defend themselves and fight battles and overcome and get more, all under Moses' leadership. Military leader, educator, document, uh, documenter of history and preserver of records, establishing a government, overseeing a group of people who never had, to be over, had freedom before, and a liberator. Any one of those things would be an amazing life, but Moses did all six. Truly one of the most remarkable leaders in history. And the funny part about Moses was he never wanted to lead. He was a reluctant leader. He had a, God confronted him and said, go, I don't want to go, I don't want to do that. I think sometimes that's why it's hard to find good leaders anymore. Because everyone who has to want it today, and there's something wrong with you if you want it that bad, right? And it's like, mental health check, you want that job? But anyhow, Moses is like, I don't want this, but he was qualified. And when God put him in there, what an amazing person he was. Anyhow, that brings us to today, the final chapter of this part of our story. And it's going to begin the same way so many of the last few weeks have gone with complaining and grumbling and criticism and murmuring and a toxic culture in the camp. Moses, this time, has a real problem on his hands. I would love to read this chapter to you, but there's just too much story and too little time. So when you go home today, read Numbers chapter 16 for yourself, because it's quite an adventure. But the skinny on it is that a man named Korah and 250 other leaders in the nation led a rebellion against Moses. And this is not just the typical complaining and grumbling. This is leadership, high-level people saying, we're overthrowing this thing. It was a rebellion. And, and the sad part was Korah was from the tribe of Levi, like Moses and Aaron were. They were basically relatives. And these are people that were in leadership roles, and the people were sympathetic, and they kind of spoke for everybody else with their discontent with the way things were being run. They're ready to overthrow, have a mutiny in their hands, and, and which means Moses will die. Or be, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a bad outcome. And when the mob gets against you and the people rise to the occasion of leading the charge, boy, it can be ugly, ugly stuff. And here we are with a rebellion on the hands. Significant hundreds of leaders coming against Moses. And in Numbers 16 and verse 4, it says, When Moses heard what they were saying, he fell face down on the ground. And I want you to notice this one last time because we've seen over and over again that Moses would constantly fall on his face before God whenever something would rise up against him. And that was a character attribute of Moses' leadership. Because other people, other people would mock that. People who are looking for a fight, looking for a, a you know, just a, I don't like how things are. People like that would would just dismiss that as a stupid gesture. I've seen religious people who like to fight with everybody for some reason. They dismiss the, 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 this gesture. But Moses always knew the first thing to do is fall on my face before God and say, God, if we're going to confront this problem, it starts with you. God, please help us know what to do. That was his go-to response. Anyhow, he then turns to what he thinks are friends, who he thinks are allies, and in Numbers 16, verse 12, Moses summons Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, other people from his tribe, basically, other leaders, thinking that they will stand by him, but they were also part of the rebellion, and he didn't know it. They replied to him, we refuse to come before you. Oh, great. They said this to him, isn't it enough 
that you brought us out of Egypt, a land flowing with milk and honey? Okay, time out. A land flowing with milk and honey? Wait a minute now. I seem to recall that you were supposed to go into the promised land, which was, according to the spies that spied it out, a land that flows with milk and honey, and you refused to trust God and follow him in there. And now you're complaining that Moses brought you out of Egypt as a land that flows with milk and honey? I thought it was kind of an arid kind of a place where you were in slavery. My bad. But apparently it was a land that flowed with milk and honey. You know, just it's so, when people are angry and, and blaming anyone around them, family, friends, environment, government, anything you want to blame for all the things that we're unhappy about, we're not usually rational. People aren't rational. Just stay whatever, throw it all against the wall and hopefully something sticks. It's so ridiculous, but that's how, and that's not good. I'm not defending that people are that way, but it's just, that's just humanity. We all see that all around us all the time. They said, you brought us out of a place that flowed with milk and honey. It was your land of slavery. What are you talking about? And they said, you brought us out here to kill us in the wilderness. And now you treat us like your subjects? That's not what Moses was doing. We've seen the stories the last few weeks. He was a humble, not power-driven, naughty. He was the guy that kept saying, God, raise up other leaders. I don't need this. But of course, instead, they said something different. I learned a long time ago that oftentimes the people who attack and criticize others, whether it's their spouse, their children, their parents, their coworkers, their neighbors, their anybody, um, any, anybody, any place in culture, usually we're often guilty of accusing others of the things that we're struggling with. You know, you, you have a power trip, Moses, and Moses is like, I do? I don't even want this job. You seem to want the job, you know. But there was just this whole tension going on here. They said, what's more? You have not brought us up into another land that flows with milk and honey. You've not given us a new homeland with fields and vineyards. Well, that wasn't his fault. He tried to bring them in. They wouldn't go in. But let's, let's just blame Moses now. They said, are you trying to fool these men? We will not come. Moses, we are not with you. You're on your own. And Moses is bothered. Moses is tired of the junk. He's tired of the the discord and, and, and the, the strife and the criticisms and the attacks. Verse 15, Moses becomes angry and says to the Lord, don't accept their grain offerings. I've not taken so much as a donkey from them. I've never heard a single one of them. Moses is taking it very personally. And it was personal, though I think the people who were doing it, it wasn't really about Moses. It was about their own struggle with their own life choices and where they were unhappy. Well, I'm not going to read the rest of the story because, again, you need to read the chapter for yourself. It's one of those, what happens next is kind of like the parting of the Red Sea. Remember the parting of the Red Sea? Like, it's a miracle. What happens next is something that is bigger than anything we've ever seen with our eyes. What basically happens is this crowd comes and it's basically the end. Mutiny is here. Rebellion is here. The ground rumbles, an earthquake happens, and the ground opens up in this hole right where these people are at, and they all just fall in. The ground just swallows them up. Everyone else in the, in the camp of Israel is just like freaked out. And God's like, you know what? I said that I was going to leave you out here for the next 40 years until you eventually died off and your kids would go into the promised land. But, you know, let's just get the process going right now, you know? So, I mean, he just like deals with the mutiny and steps in and saves Moses' life again here. It's a crazy story. And the crazy part, without reading it, is that what happens next is that everyone else could have said, oh yeah, that's right, God has done all those powerful things to bring us out here and, and, and then done those things for us. We shouldn't have gotten caught up in this rebellion and kind of, kind of course corrected. But instead, the next day they got up and said to Moses, you killed those people. And they were upset again. 
It's a crazy story. And I tell you that because if you've been with us every week for the past few weeks, you've seen a trend. And you saw how Moses is beginning to crack under the pressure. He's just tired. He's burned out. And that brings us to today's story and why I wanted to share that with you again. Numbers chapter 20 and verse 1 says, In the first month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin, and they camped at Kadesh. While they were there, Miriam died and was buried. Now, who's Miriam? This is Moses' older sister. Miriam was the one who was there when he was being placed in the Nile River as a baby, when they're supposed to kill the babies in those years of slavery. And uh, she put, the mom put him in a basket and sister stayed by to watch over him. And then Pharaoh's daughter finds him and she connects Pharaoh's daughter with his family so he knows his upbringing, makes a connection point. And she was a big part of his early life. I know that years later, we saw a couple weeks ago that she kind of turns against him and criticizes him. We saw that too. But she didn't like his new wife and that kind of stuff happens in families. But they were still family. And so... She's gone now, and Moses has all the, the burden of leadership and getting to the edge of the promised land and the people refusing to go in and just more criticism and more griping and more rebellions. And now his sister's died, and he's just got so much pressure. He's done it well so far, but there's cracks starting to show. It says in verse 2, there was no water for the people to drink in that place. So... They did the reasonable thing. They said, oh, I'm sure God will show himself strong once again and take care of the water problem. No. They rebelled against Moses and Aaron. They said, they, they said they blamed Moses and said, if only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers, the ones who got swallowed up in the ground. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die along with all of our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? I thought that was a terrible place. They said, this land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. Kind of a big deal. So once again, same story, different year. And Moses, at this time, snaps. First time he has handled, I mean, every time in the past anyone's come to him and, and complained, and, and, and God would be upset. Moses would pray for mercy for the people. He would say, God, let me intercede to you for the people. Moses was constantly interceding for a, a difficult group of people. He was praying for them. He was saying, God, please be merciful, be good to them, be gracious to them. Even when it was very personal against him. But he's done. So in Numbers 20, verse 8, God's taught, giving him instructions. He says to Moses, hey, you and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community as the people watch. Speak to the rock over there, and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. Now, if you weren't with us several weeks ago, you may have missed this story, but there was a time when they were first out there when they complained for water, and God says, take your staff, hit this rock twice, and the water's going to gush out, the rock's going to gush out water for the whole place, and it's going to give them water to drink. And, and then they went places where there was always water, but they're back here now, and they're wandering in the wilderness. There's no water again, and, and they're complaining again, and that rock is there. And so God says, Moses, I want you to go speak to the rock this time and just talk to it. Don't have to hit it again. It'll gush out water. and I'll, I'll, Another miracle of God for these people. But the crazy part of the story is that well, let me just step back from that. All of this 
And if you've been in church a long time, you might know this and you've heard this before, but let me just kind of, this is some kind of a picture of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. We know that because 1,500 years later, Paul the Apostle is writing after the life of Jesus and talking about this story back then and refers to that rock as being a picture of, of Jesus Christ, who was uh, the rock upon which he's built his church, the rock of, our, of our, our salvation. And like Moses the first time hit the rock twice, and after he hit it, it was smitten, it, gave wa- it gushed out water, Jesus was beaten and smitten for our sins, and he, his blood gushed out as atonement for our sins. And like that water satisfied the thirst of the people of Israel back then, the, the Savior, his, um, his, his sacrifice for us, provides um, everlasting water that will never thirst again spiritually, eternal life. So it's, it's symbolic, and I know that, that, that that's like a big thought, and if that's, if you, if you hear that, you don't fully connect those dots, that's okay. Just let that sit there, and it will, it will come together in time. But, but it's all a picture. And I don't know how aware they were. I know they looked ahead to a Messiah. I don't know how aware they were of the symbolism then, or if it was more of a hindsight deal. But either way, Moses was giving clear instructions. The rock has already been smitten. Just speak to it. Kind of like God. He, he, he died for our sins. We find salvation in him. And, and we just need to go to him and speak to him for our needs. And he gives them to us through prayer. So Moses goes speak to the rock. It will give water again. But Moses is not healthy. We've, and I'm surprised. If I, if, I, look, if I was Moses, it would have been over a long time ago. Okay? Something, something or someone would have been gone a long time ago. Probably me. I mean, this was a rough journey for, for a number of years. But Moses is done. So it says in in verse number 9, Moses did as he was told, sort of. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he summoned Aaron and the people to come and gather at the rock. And you picture him walking up there in a rage. He's, He's like, he's mad. He says, listen, you rebels. Must we bring you water from this rock? And he raised his hand and he struck the rod twice with his staff. And water gushed out. And the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. But that's not what he was told to do. In verse 12, But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I'm giving them. This is a tough one here. Remember last week when the people refused to go into the promised land and God said, Fine. I brought you out of slavery, but you're going to wander in the wilderness for the rest of your lives. That's not, I'll take care of you. You're just not going to experience the promised land. This is where you're going to finish your journey. And in a few decades, when you're all dead and gone, I'll let your kids go in because they'll be ready. They'll have a better mindset. They'll go in. The only ones from that generation that would survive to go into the promised land were the two young spies, Caleb and Joshua, who said, let's go trust the Lord and go in. They were the two people saying, let's just go in. Let's trust the Lord. And God says, they'll live, and I'll take care of them, and they'll be healthy and vibrant, and they'll go into the promise of it. The rest of this generation will die eventually. The kids will grow up, and they'll go in the land. We saw that last week. Well, Moses was assumed to also be going into the land. And God says to him here, Moses, I think this is it for you. And that seems so harsh. Moses is like, what? I really wanted to go. But let's be honest. And, you know, it was time. But, but I also feel sad because whenever I read this story, my, my thoughts always go to this. All the times that the people were just at the precipice of personal destruction, Moses would intercede for them to God and pray for them, for God's mercy and blessing, even when they were attacking him. 
And now Moses finally makes a, makes a bad step. And I always wonder this when I read the story. Who interceded for Moses? Who interceded for Moses? Did anyone? Like, oh, well, he should know better. He's a leader. You know, we oh, I've learned in life we have very little patience for people who have represent authority in our lives and our cultures. You know, we struggle with this as people because they're supposed to know better. All of, we forget that they're human. They're supposed to know better. Whether it's government leaders or you know your boss, the the man or the woman in charge at work, the you know your parent, your mom, your dad. Um, people, you, you know, you can give grace to your peers, you give grace to the generation you raise, you can see the struggles, but sometimes it's like, you're supposed to know better. And they're supposed to like do it right, and they're supposed to put up with my junk and pray for me, or you know, lead well in the company, whatever it may be, but, but, but we can gripe about them, and that's just how it is. And, and Moses was just in that spot where he just, you know, no one thinks about it, he just, well, he blew it, he should be out. But I was, was wondering if anyone ever thought to pray for him too. To say, God, you know, he's put up with an awful lot. That's our fault, actually. God, he made a mistake. Can you let him go in anyhow? Can we at least pray for that? Maybe, it, maybe it's not in the cards, and it wasn't. But can we just take his name to you and pray for him? I want to ask all of us today to remember, for all the people in your life that, that hold roles that are easy to, be, to find fault with, and I understand that, but let's pray. Let's pray, for, let's pray for those people around us who are in positions of authority and walk the impossible rope of pleasing people. Let's pray for the people in government. And I know we don't do that, right? We gripe about people in government, especially if they're not from our team, whatever our team is, you know? But you know, the Christian scriptures tell us in the book of Timothy to pray for those who lead us nationally. I think when I see the, sadly, when I see the church today, a lot of Christians, I don't see that. I see a lot of the tone we see from Israel back then. We gripe about them. We criticize and complain and say, give the worst possible motives and the most hateful kind of spin and accusations, but we don't pray for them. So how do, why do you think that, Arlen? Because I'm on social media. I see how people behave, right? But where do we pray for those in authority? Where do we pray for, you know, the job's not perfect. Where do we pray for the people who, who, who employ us? Do we pray for our, um, your, your faith community? You have deacons. You have small group leaders who you look to spiritually. Do you ever think about, they pray for you and you're glad, but do you ever pray for them? Mom, your mom and dad. I know they weren't perfect. Your mom and dad may have been a whole crazy ball of wax themselves, but let me ask you a question. As they raised you and cared for you and worried about getting you to adulthood and prayed for you, do you ever just pray for them? I wonder who interceded for Moses in this story. I think the answer is nobody. It's a lonely path sometimes. Anyhow. It was time. Let's just be honest. God's like Moses You've had a good run. You've done some amazing things. You mentioned them earlier. You've done some amazing things. But at some point, it's time to hang up the cleats, okay? And Moses, you've been buckling under the pressure for a while. You've been just, you've asked me to just give you a bunch of other, I've given you extra leadership help at your request. You've stepped back. You're tired. And now you just flipped out on the people. Moses, it's just time to kind of hang up the cleats. It was right. But it's sad. Well, later, years would pass. Years would pass, and later Moses' brother Aaron would die. Moses actually went up in a mountain with Aaron and Aaron's son Eleazar, took the high priest garments off of Aaron. They put him on Eleazar. Aaron dies while they're up there. They bury him, come back down, and go on. It's crazy. And Aaron's just watching, and Moses is watching his family pass away, his older sister, his older brother, waiting his time. 
And then we're not going to turn here, but if you were to write some vert chapters down to read, I keep telling you we're skipping so many good stories. You ought to read these books for yourself. But in Numbers chapters 21 through 25, and really through the rest of the book of Numbers, there's some interesting stories about another military conquest where they were attacked and the people have to defend themselves. And under Moses' leadership, they overcome Og and Sihon. And, and, and these enemy nations around them. And after that, there's a nation that's afraid of them because they realize they can't beat Israel militarily. Somehow God's with them. So they call a mystic named Balaam to pronounce a curse over them. But Balaam, the mystic, can't do it because God won't let him. So that's a whole funny story in itself. You ought to read it. And then when that's all said and done, the, the, the enemy says, well, if we can't beat them on battle, let's try to get them away from God's favor. So they sent a lot of, they had a lot of, it was a very perverse area. They had a, a form of, of religion called Baal worship which was full of degradation and sexual uh, immorality and, and child sacrifice and killing children and babies. It's just a terrible religion. And they said, let's send our women into, the, and, and let's try to use prostitution and other things to bring an influence that will steal God's favor from the Israelites. And boy, a lot of the people in Israel were like, let's do it. And it became a whole thing, and it was a terrible story of, of, uh, of uh, sexual sin and crazy stuff going on. And then others in Israel were like, that's wrong, grabbing their spears and killing people who were committing those sins. I mean, blood is being shed. There's a civil war going on. You should read it for yourself in Numbers. It's not the part of our story we're telling today. Anyhow, at some point, the 40 years are up. That entire generation, minus Caleb and Joshua and old man Moses, have all passed away. And now we get to the last book of the Pentateuch, Deuteronomy. Remember those five books that start the Hebrew Scriptures? We call them the Pentateuch. Moses, his leadership, penned them all. Genesis was their backstory before they were alive. Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers was that generation we've been studying. Well, I want to tell you about Deuteronomy real quick here. Deuteronomy, if you ever read it, and you should at least once in your life read Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is older Moses talking to the next generation whose parents all came out of slavery, refused to go into the promised land, and have all died. Moses is talking to the next generation before they go into the promised land after he dies. And as he spends Deuteronomy, he tells them about their past. He tells them about uh, the laws that God gave to govern their nation. He talks about God's promises and faithfulness. He reviews their history. He warns them to stay on the right path. And then towards the end of Deuteronomy... Chapter 31 and verse 7, it says, Then Moses called for Joshua. Remember Joshua? Joshua was the young man who would go with Moses up into the mountain to meet with God when Moses was getting along. And he would go into the tabernacle where they worshiped God in the tent that they set up there in their, in their campings. That God's cloud would descend on the tent and Moses would go in and come out with God's word to the people. And Joshua would stay in the tent by God's presence. He was being raised as a young leader, mentored by Moses. He was one of the spies that went to the promised land and, and said, let's go for it, and he's still alive. And, and Moses calls for Joshua, and as all Israel watched, he said to him, hey, be strong and courageous, for you will lead these people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors that he would give them. You are the one who will divide it among them as grants of land. Joshua, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. And from there, Moses sets his affairs in order. He gets his house in order and ready to die. If you read what happens next, 
Moses writes a song. Let's add songwriter to Moses' list of credentials. He writes a song and teaches it to the nation of people. The song was about all that God has done, how faithful God has been, and how they should trust him still. You can read it in chapter 32, I believe. And then Moses speaks a blessing in his last time, his last you know, days, speaks a blessing over every single tribe of Israel. And when he's finished and his affairs are set in order, he goes up the mountain once again to meet the Lord and die. I want to read the last chapter of Deuteronomy with you, if I can. The whole chapter is not very long, but it's going to put a bow on this whole conversation we've been having for the past many weeks. Deuteronomy 34, verse 1. Then Moses went up to Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab and climbed Pisgah Peak, which is across from Jericho. And while he's up there, God is going to show Moses the land that he won't get to go into, but the nation's about to march into. From the mountain view, he can see the Jordan River. They would cross the Jordan River, and then there's the land, and he would see the land that they would occupy, that God had promised their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's keep reading about it. It says, The Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead as far as Dan, all the land of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah extending to the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, the Jordan Valley with Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. And then the Lord said to Moses, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 500 years ago when I said I will give it to your descendants. I have now allowed you to see it with your own eyes, but you will not enter that land. And this is it. Verse 5 says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, just as the Lord had said. The Lord buried him in a valley near Beth Peor in Moab, but to this day no one knows the exact place. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyesight was clear, and he was as strong as ever. That's pretty remarkable. The people of Israel mourned for Moses on the plains of Moab for 30 days until the customary period of mourning was over. And the last three verses are kind of a little bit of a short obit for Moses. Verse 10, there has never been a prophet, another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And isn't that true? We mentioned all of Moses' exploits earlier. Can I just point this one out to you? Of all the things that Moses accomplished, the most important thing was he had a relationship with God like nobody else. He just connected with him, and they spoke face-to-face -face as, as a person speaks to their friend, the scriptures say. And, and, and that's being pointed out here in his obit, so to speak. Verse 11, the Lord sent him to perform all the miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh against all his, and his servants and his entire land. With mighty power, Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of all Israel. That's it. The chapter ends, Deuteronomy ends, the Pentateuch ends, the wander years are over, and the next part of the story will be the brand new adventure. And we're not going to get into that today, are we? But I just want to spend the last few minutes I have before we pray and are done and just talk to you a little bit about this, this final moment of Moses. All the work and the labor that he got lassoed into doing, it's all behind him now. He's on the mountain with God again. There's a song that I knew growing up, um, Christian music song um, from a group called Point of Grace, um, a group of women who sang some great songs. 
Um, and some of, one song they wrote was called How You Live. It's a good song, but towards the end of the song, there's a line. It's not what the whole song is about necessarily, but it's a great line. The, the, the song lyric says, make peace with God and make peace with yourself. Because in the end, there's nobody else. And that's Moses right now. Moses is at a spot. And that's the idea of a life review I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the message. I wonder if Moses sat there on the mountain and he's with the Lord saying, Moses, look over there. There's the Jordan River. There's the land. And they're going to go here. And this is where they're going to be. And you can see it. Are you ready to go, Moses? And Moses just takes a moment to just think back on the whole journey. A young boy, old enough to realize that he, had, he, he lives in the past, but he has some family that don't live there, but they, so they seem worse off. And then he begins to realize that they're slaves. And as he gets older, he identifies with the slaves that, that are his heritage and, and not with the privilege he grew up with in the palace. And he begins to say, I'm going to step in and, and, and help them. And then he does, and he actually kills a slave master one day and buries his body in the stand and thinks the people will appreciate his help. And instead, they turn against him the next day and said, you're not in charge of us. And they, they didn't protect his secret. And he has to run out of the country to, to safety. And it should have been his first cue, don't help these people anymore. But anyhow, he gets out of there and spends 40 years in the wilderness just forgetting his old life and sorting that out, meets a family, marries a daughter of a shepherd's family, starts his own home, has a couple sons, watches sheep, and just tries to move past the past. No desire to go back, letting go of dreams and wondering what happened. And then one day, he comes across a burning bush. And God says, Moses, the bush is burning and it's not consumed, it's talking to me. And he encounters God. And in that moment, God says, Moses, I want you to go back. Uh-uh. No, listen, I want you to go back and lead them out of slavery. Uh-uh, God, I can't do it. I am not the man for that job. Moses, go back. God sends somebody else. Moses, I'll go with you. Hey, will you join me? Together, we can do great things. Honestly, in the story of Moses, Moses' burning bush moment is his big come-to-God moment of life. The burning bush was his come-to-God moment. Is where he, he didn't even know God. He's like, God, what do we call you? What's your name? He doesn't know God very well. What's your name? God's like, tell him I am. And Moses encounters God and says, fine, if you'll go with me on this crazy journey you're calling me to, then let's do it. And that was Moses' big moment of faith. And as he sits there on the mountain 40 years later, exhausted, tired of the leadership, tired of the battles, tired of all of it. And now he's old and he's sitting there with God looking over to the promised land and thinks about all of that life. It was a, a life well lived. Not perfect. Not easy. But a life spent walking with God and serving him. And Moses' relationship with God had really become significant back at that burning bush. And now it's time to die. And I don't know how it went. We only have the story we have, but I just like to picture in my mind, if I can, God saying, Moses, take my hand. Hey, you're going to see the land you're not going to go into over there. Don't feel bad about that. Where you're going to go next is far better anyhow. Moses, take my hand. And I picture the words of David, the psalmist of Israel, many years later, when he would say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Moses, take my hand. And picture Moses grabs a hold and 
almost like a baptism scene. He lays back and is gone. But immediately back on to a whole new world. But in the middle of all that concluding scene of an amazing life, I wonder if I can almost hear the voice of God say, Moses, no more wandering. Welcome home. No more wandering. Welcome home. All of us one day will come to the end of this journey. All of us one day will finish our race. It'll be you and God, and in the end, there's nobody else. would encourage us today, I know some of us it's morbid to think ahead, but I think there's a very big value in looking towards the end and living with the end in mind. I think it will do a few things for how we live our lives. First of all, we think back, when I get to the end someday and look back, what will I wish I had done more of? And what will I wish I had prioritized more of in my life? Faith, relationships, steps, doing the right thing when it was hard to do, doing the right thing when it cost me something, I don't know. What will matter in the end? Am I living today with the end in mind to look back and say, I'm glad I did, rather than I wished I had? Not that we won't have regrets. We all have regrets. Here's the good news. In the moment when it's all over, in the presence of God, there is such an overwhelming reality that you and I will know of God's unconditional love, that he just loves you, not because we're perfect, but because he is love. And it will be fine. But I still think in the moment of that washing over of God's love, there'll be a chance to look back in that life review you hear so much about and say, you know, what, what, did I, what, did I, what did I spend my energy on? Am I glad for as many choices? Or do I wish I had? But either way, whether it's the business we try to build, the financial independence we try to pursue, the relationships we try to control, the, the things that we try to make go our way, or the the, the pleasures we live for, whatever it may be, one day it's behind us. Our good, our bad, and our ugly. We're face to face with the one that we, that, who loves us most. Live with the end in mind, not only because it should guide us day by day, but because I hope what will cause you and I to do is to start enjoying relationship with the one who is there in the end when nobody else is. That we can start today, like Moses, knowing God and spending time in prayer, in the scriptures, in meditation, and getting in the presence of God and saying, I need to hear from you. I want to know you. Until the end, when he says to you one day, welcome home. So here's my call to you today. Take a journey with your maker in this life. If you've not had your burning bush moment, maybe hear God's voice calling you to it now. Say, God, if you want relationship with me, if you've given so much, as the gospel teaches us through Jesus Christ, to show that we are forgiven because you want us back more than you want us to pay, if you love me that much, if you want relationship with me, eternal life someday, indwelling me now, and God, if you, I'll, I'll, I'll take that deal. You, you paid the price, you love me, I'll take it, I'm in. God, I'm in. If you've not had your moment, like Moses at the burning bush, where you say, God, let's take this ride together. I think today would be a great time. Because when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, that's what matters most. And one day, 
we all get to hear him say, no more wandering, welcome home. And by the way, what a day that will be.